Good evening, everyone. Welcome again to another episode of the Peach Room Africa. I am your host, Didi Sakal. Tonight, I'll be joined by Anne Lorenzo, Anne from Growth Africa. Um, Anne is currently based in Kenya. And also Esther Ndeti. I'm also um, privileged, as always, to have my co-host join me, Esther Richards. Good evening, Esther. How are you doing? Yes, I can't hear you very clearly. Hey, CD. Good evening. Can you hear me? It's a beautiful Friday again. Always looking forward to Fridays with you. Yes, welcome. Um, so, everyone, if you're just um, catching up on the podcast of this conversation, today we're going to deep dive into the African ecosystem. A lot of times when we hear the ecosystem, especially on LinkedIn and other community that we are part of, we often at times discuss fundraising. It's almost as if the entire ecosystem in the continent at the moment is all about fundraising. So tonight, I'm very privileged to announce that I'll be joined by um, one of Africa's leading um, pioneers, especially in the East African um, part of the ecosystem, um, and from Growth Africa, but also will be joined by Esther from Oncap. Ladies and gentlemen, as always, um, we're going to take a few minutes, five minutes, so we can get more people to join us live stage, even as we prepare to receive our guests. This is the Beach Room Africa. Hey, Siri, can you hear me? I can't hear anyone. Yes, good evening. Welcome, Anne. How are you doing? Anne, can you hear me? Anne, are you there? Esther, Esther, how are you doing? Hello, Siri. Can you hear me now? Yes, I can. I can hear you, Esther. How are you oh, doing today? I'm 
doing fantastic. And we have an Esther. Um, Esther, you keep dropping out of the call. Um, Esther, if you can. So there are two Esthers here. So um, Esther and Diti, so I'm referring to you. If you, I've sent you an invitation for you to jump on stage. If you can accept that invitation, that would be um, brilliant. Um, again, please look out for the invitation. I've sent the invitation over to you. You should see that invitation, Esther. Once you see that invitation, please accept the invite to jump on stage. Um, and if you're there also, uh, I think, I'm not sure what is going on. And you, you are currently on stage. If you can just accept the invite again and jump on, on stage, that would be great. Um, ladies and gentlemen, wherever you're listening from, I'm your host, as always, C.D. Saka, and I'm joined by my co-host, Esther Richards. Esther, how is Nigeria? Okay, so it seems to be a little bit Esther, can you hear me? I can hear you. Can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you just fine. Um, I think we're just trying to get Anne also to join us on stage. Um, so be with us. We usually have a back room. Um, usually um, our community, Esther, just to give you... Um, a bit of an idea. Our community usually tend to join us a little bit later. So as you can see, some of them are already joining us. Um, so thank you. I do appreciate you being here. I know how late it is in East Africa, but tell me, how are you feeling today? What's, what's happening on your end? So unfortunately, I'm 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 out of town. Um, it's Good Friday, Easter. Happy Easter to anybody who's listening. Um, which means that um, my connection is quite bad. Uh, I'm just hoping that we'll be able to have a full conversation and that we'll be able to have an interactive discussion, um, without too many interruptions. Yes. Okay. Um, I can hear you very fine. Um, which is which is great. Um, just trying to get Anne to jump on stage. I'm not sure why. Um, he was on stage just now. I'm not sure why um, he's unable to join us anymore. Anyways, um, wherever you're listening from, this um, there is, a, there is a Peach Room Africa. Every Friday, we tend to sit here and have a conversation with some of the biggest players across the African continent. Tonight, we are privileged to be joined by Esther, the investment principal at Uncap and uh, the managing partner of Growth Africa and this, as always, ladies and gentlemen, is the Bedroom Africa. Say bye. Say bye. 
Welcome again. Um, Esther, how are you doing? Anne, welcome. How are you doing? Can you hear me, Anne? I am still not sure Anne can hear me. Um, so this is what we're going to do. Because today we have two Esthers on the stage, um, we're going to use um, Madam Richards to uh, just... So and then I'm speaking to my co-host, and then I will just use Esther. So um, just to clarify, my that. So my, so my guest. <laughs> Can you call me your co-host instead, or <laughs> Esther Richards, <Yeah>. Madam? <laughs> I'm so sorry. Network is so crappy. I don't know. Yeah, I, I'm not sure what's happening. Esther, Esther, Esther um, welcome. Um, to the beach room Africa it's um, we we do tend to have a very interesting conversation on this stage um, most of most of the time our conversation are undiluted and we we tend to get into a little bit of the controversial side of the of the ecosystem that nobody is happy to talk about and this is one of the reasons why we refuse to send questions beforehand or even try to predetermine what the conversation will look like even before our guests join us. So I do hope you understand and you are happy to have this conversation with us as much as we are happy to have this with you. Esther? Okay. Um, and, and can you hear me? Can you hear me now? Can you hear me just fine? Yes, I can hear you very fine. Thanks, Sidi. Uh, great to be here, and thanks a lot for the invitation for the opportunity to be here. Hey, Sidi, can you hear me? Yes, Esther, I can hear you. Yes. Okay, great. Welcome, Esther, and welcome, Ian. And I think we lost Esther again, Sidi. Network is so terrible. She mentioned the same thing today. That would be her biggest um, challenge, network. So I guess we would have to um, wait up and just go on with Ian. Over to you, Sidi. Yeah, um, and, and, and so, and tell me, tell me, so let's just kick off the conversation and um, let's start with how you're feeling, um, how you're feeling today. How, how are you feeling? How are you doing? What's happening on your end? Yeah, no, that's that's a good start. Actually, I, I think I've gotten a little bit uh, um, reflective around how we ask about how we're doing because often it either opens up a, a very big question of how we're really feeling, or it, it's a good, um, nice way of saying hi. So I think it, it's fair to say a good hi, and I can give a little thing today. Um, no, I think I think there's. a number of challenges come with that and i think we're still trying to figure out how do we how do we increase um access to to funding and to finance and and seeing that things have really shifted around after covid as much as we thought it was going to come back to some kind of same uh, i think definitely that's one of the things that i have on my the fact that things have shifted uh, and are not sitting quite the same way it was before. Uh, I think we've seen a lot 
a lot of funding, a lot of money turning a lot more thematic and, and very boxed. So if you don't sit inside those boxes, it's harder to get to. So maybe that is one of the things we may touch on today. But let me, um, yeah, cut it there. Thanks. Yeah, so it, it's it's quite interesting that you 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 started the conversation right away talking about money. So I'm just going to uh, move directly to Esther, um, given given the fact that she's re representing money in this conversation. Esther, is the is the African ecosystem all about money and fundraising these days? Well, it certainly sounds so, but I think it's more um, a reflection on where the the news lies, right? And I think it's not only um, reserved to Africa alone. I think if you look the world over, um, there's quite a bit of conversation with regards to where capital is allocated, what industries, what sectors are growing, where the returns are at. Um, so it, it appears so, but I mean money follows where the action is right so <laughs> um you know um i think it it's it's an indicator of you know interests um and predictions in terms of where um you know um growth um and you know activities happening um in in specific quarters so it's not all about money but i think the way the media and uh, the way you know news is captured um, and I think it's one of the easier ways to sort of like track metrics, um, you know, uh, when, you, when you're looking across sort of like the functioning of any ecosystem. Um, yeah, but it's not all about money. Uh, yeah, but, 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 you know, don't you think, and, and this, and please feel free to jump in here, don't you think this is one of the fundamental flaws around the ecosystem development across Africa? Because, again, Esther, one of the things that we, we, we're seeing across the world, right? Um, a lot more, um, you know, let's talk about ecosystem in North America for for, for a start. Um, ecosystem in North America, when the rise of Silicon Valley and all of these uh, different hubs actually kick-started, it, it, was, it was based on money, but it was fundamentally based on the principle of mentorship. And that was actually one of the domineering conversation being had across multiple multiple facets of, of of that growth but our continent on the other hand have seemed to replace the conversation of ec the actual ecosystem building the fundamental of the, the the policies and the players that needs to actually attract the money and just completely make it about the money and now we have entrepreneurs failing to build their business chasing um, valuation instead and what do you think was that a fair assessment Yeah, I'd say it's. it's I, I think there's a there's a great deal of fairness with this, and I think there's also a, a bit of an obsession in certain parts of our ecosystem with with unicorns. Um, unicorns drives the idea that that money is the metrics for how we measure whether an entrepreneur or a startup. Is successful rather than looking at the really impact that they're creating, and I think that's that is really the true impact that a given venture is driving in their in their society or the place they are. Look at. I think at. I'm struggling to hear and. 
And you keep you keep breaking up. Am I the only one hearing Ann break up, Esther? Uh, my co-host. Can you hear Ann just fine? Can any one of you hear him just fine? I think he's breaking up a little bit. Or is it my own end? I can I can try again uh, see the other ways. So I I think if this is any better, um, just give me a feedback on that. Yeah, I, I can hear you just fine now. Um, and so sorry, you were talking about the fundamental and uh, um, money raise uh, a metric for this, and I think the the um, the way that quite a number of our ecosystem is looking at unicorns as the ultimate success, then we, we've kind of set ourselves up that raising a money valuation that likes becomes a, the key or one of the key success criteria rather than looking at what's the true impact of the businesses that we were working with supporting. And I think there's a, there's a need to get back or just accept that there is a split in the ecosystem and one will look at at how they can make money, and that's literally the the criteria of success. And then we're looking at valuation raise, and then I think there'll be a different line of thought where we're looking at a different metric, uh, where number of jobs and other lines of of impact really what we're looking at, along of course with the money that needs to finance the primary goal. Uh, um, Esther, Esther, just just going back from what Anne just um, just mentioned. So the issue of a unicorn. So the the, the continent, since it's uh, since it's you know since the ecosystem really really took off, I think we're counting now about eight unicorns. How how fundamental are unicorns to an ecosystem development like ours? I might not be the right person <laughs> to speak about unicorns because I'm not a big fan of sort of like chasing unicorns um, and sort of like using that as a metric for success of startup ecosystems. Um, you know, I think in markets, um, if you look across Africa, what we need is businesses that are growing steadily and creating the jobs that are needed on this continent, um, as opposed to businesses that are doing hockey stick growth in terms of um, you know, uh, various other things and not necessarily creating the jobs that are needed to be created for the population, um, for the demand that's on the continent, right? So um, I think there are um, those of the school of thought where unicorns are important um, to be able to show, you know, that we are competitive on a global market. And I think that's ideal and that's great. But I think to get there, there's a step in between that needs to happen, right? Uh, we need to figure out how now we're creating the solutions that are needed on the, on, on the ground um, to be able to uh, address specific societal problems and, you know, economic issues and then creating the jobs that are required, and then now think about unicorns past that. Um, I think it's important that we do not skip, <laughs> you know, to be on a competitive landscape with all the other unicorns across the world, whereas there's what we need to deliver here um, in the interim. So, um, again, I have a different school of thought to most VCs, so, um, you know, not the best person to answer that question the way you'd like me to. No, I no, I think I think it was a fair question, and it, it was an equally fair um, response because one of the one of the problems that 
we have at the moment in the continent and this is you know please feel free to 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 challenge me on this thoughts right it might not um sound right and it may just be controversial is the fact that we are not building we're not building from the ground up we're not building sustainable businesses anymore we're we're chasing we have a lot more entrepreneurs chasing um valuation we have uh, the the benchmark of entrepreneurship in the continent now is not so much about solving the problem but rather about um how quickly you are able to raise your series a b or c or even d or how quickly you are able to get to that unicorn status and this is where um i'm going to draw this question for you and at this level how relevant are accelerators and incubators in this space no i, I think that's very relevant but I'm, I'm clearly also biased at this year but i think <clears throat> i think we also see that the startups that are seeking unicornness uh increasing uh turning their their view towards the u.s so if if that's a way to filter it out and say well um those are for whom that success uh, they will look to the key drivers of, of that line of thought in the U.S. Um, if that would then just mean that we could then focus on the good, solid uh, local business that may have a different view in terms of impact and focus, then then I don't mind that we could could look at it that way. I think there's not a, a clear need to support businesses in their growth. Whether we then call that incubators and accelerators, uh, I think increasing the terminologies have been under pressure in terms of what this means but there is definitely a need for supporting helping providing access to resources for entrepreneurs at different growth stages and i think that's really at the core what incubators accelerators are uh, whether we then need different types of organizations to pull, support entrepreneurs in or to support african entrepreneurs in their growth journey is perhaps the, the true question i think almost leading you on your path of questions i think we have, unfortunately, in many ways, taken a lot of American concepts and, and copied them and, and then thought that they would work in our context when, in reality, we see that, not surprisingly, that they need to be contextualized. And, and when we see gaps and things are not working, it's typically because we have not contextualized and addressed local needs, but are just um, relatively blindly copied things. And I think one of... Uh, one of my favorite examples, and Esther knows this for sure, is that we perpetually like, so we also know that our our partners, funders, and likes, they kind of require that we do pitch events. And the assumption always is that we then, at that pitch, can get investors to almost take the checkbook and check and invest in, in an inventor at that point of that pitch event. And we also know, track record-wise, that at least in East Africa, never happens. And it is part because we've copied an American concept that works in that context. And it doesn't work that way in our local context. So we really need to, perhaps across the board, whether in the way that uh, we, we define different capital providers, uh, starting from, so, so how the capital flows, is that the way that we're developing that in, in Africa? Is that too much of a copy from an American concept? Is that where we're seeing some gaps uh, rightfully so, perhaps, on, on elements of the incubator accelerator, is there a need for us to look at, is, is, is it following the same? I think on, on that line, though, I think I'm 
probably more thinking that incubator accelerators does follow the needs of entrepreneurs. But then generally it is to not just take what comes from an ecosystem in the U.S. and that clearly works in the U.S., uh, but which for us, we have a completely different context and a different reality that we need to, to develop these things for. So uh, just a couple of thoughts on that. But, but uh, again, just going to be a little bit more controversial, right? So the ecosystem is standing in front of a mirror. In, in, um, incubators, accelerators, players like yourself um, is standing in front of a mirror. And then you have an entrepreneur who is looking between programs being offered in Growth Africa or programs being um, offered at Y Combinator. And then you have, a, you have an investor, Esther, in this case, from ONCAP, who is looking at the journey of the entrepreneur, how, how much of a sway in uh, Esther's investment decision comes from whether this entrepreneur um, have been to, to YC or Growth Africa? Esther, that's the question for you. So, um, to put it into the context, so I'll, I'll answer this question in two parts. Um, first part, uh, wearing my hat as ANCAP, and then the second, um, sort of like a, as a, a general VC. So, as ANCAP, you know, businesses that go through local programs um, like Growth Africa's and various other incubators and accelerators, we find these more attractive because we know that they have a lot of local context and local support. Um, with be, being able to figure out sort of like the markets that they're working in, you know, it's it's very contextualized. And when we and we come in very early, uh, Uncap, you know, invests basically it's your first ticket into the business before you you go out even to Y Combinator. We come in before Y Combinator, for instance. So for us, it makes sense for us to work with, partner up with uh, ESOs and incubators and accelerators across the four countries we're in. Um, yeah, but then on the on the other hand, I know that venture capital investors um, who are doing you know uh, seed Series A. Well, of course, there's a program. Some of the cool factors are one is that you are less literally you, you know you're leveraged to to attract more capital in more ways than one. One is that, you know, going through Y Combinator, getting into the program means you automatically get invested in, you know, and the sum went up from 150K to I think these are 350 that is now added on top um, with certain caveats to it. Uh, and then on top of that, they have this network of other investors. So the VC, a business that has gone through that, I feel, you know, you're constantly thinking about your return as a VC and what your exit options are. And a business that has gone through these Y Combinator that has spent years and years of cultivating, um, you know, um, various, um, you know, investor networks and whatever it is, um, it's extremely attractive. I think it's more of a marketplace, really. Um, I don't think it's a matter of thinking, is their program stronger or better? But I think it's more... Um, if you look at the value chain of capital, then it makes a lot more sense for, you know, later stage VCs to be looking at businesses that have gone through the YC program. Well, is that is that is that in itself not an indication of um, how we are systematically feeling um, as an ecosystem to be able to pool resources that is not necessarily um, banked off of, of the idea of having to having startups or entrepreneurs access programs overseas? 
Yeah, so I think <clears throat> I think the overseas parts, and it'd be interesting if there was some data to prove that. But often the the overseas part is the attraction of that is the access to to finance and the size of finance uh, that we don't see locally. Um, so it almost posed back the question of it'd be very interesting if we had capabilities locally to invest and provide financing at some compared to the same level as, as YC or others, because that would then give us a little bit more of an even playing field, which is not the case at the moment. There are very few, if we look across the continent of, of accelerators and incubators that also are able to provide even, even the smallest type of, of financing, which means that they comparatively would be at par or at least a close at par with, with the international programs. And we're not even here talking about all the, the free money that comes through challenges and competitions and the likes, which is almost a whole category. Um, it's definitely also, to me at least, a matter of if we wanted to create a more even playing field, what would it look like if incubators and celebrators could provide some of that initial financing and then that we build out that really uh, local contextualized uh, financing system where Esther and Uncap could be playing one field and you have a whole line of, of different financiers playing in different parts of that journey. Um, whereas I think right now we'll see some entrepreneurs who are very excited about the ability to raise a proportion larger size, ticket size at an early stage and then leverage that relatively quickly. And that's not to ignore that from the American programs as well, especially you, you do get quite some some network of access to, to markets and other things that definitely is very valuable. Um, it is though also, I think if we were to look at what happens to some of those businesses as they grow, do they stay in Africa? Uh, what's the growth and what's the value they create in Africa? Or is there a little bit of a tendency, maybe more so on, on, the, on the unicorns that they the same investors will tend to draw them out of the continent and we're seeing a different type of brain drain. This is a different level we're seeing that we've seen before. And then it is that we kind of fall back and say, is this then the impact we're looking for? Is it the measures of success or is it a different type of business that we should focus or at least focus on as well uh, on the continent? Maybe one last thing on, on that is that I... I I truly hope, and that's maybe also looking what have happened in other ecosystems, if unicorns and those who pull back a lot of money could be catalytic by reinvesting what they're making into the next generation of, of ventures. And I think that is still, for me, truly the real impact of, of some of those uh, unicorns. If that can enable some a generation of entrepreneurs to truly invest in the next generation at a different scale and we then get this positive spin and i think that's really where the the true impact of this can happen at this point yeah um i have a lot of questions to follow on with you on that note um ladies and gentlemen wherever you're listening from if you are live joining us live today thank you for being here welcome to the beach room africa if you're just catching up on this podcast tonight we've been privileged to have esther from oncap and the managing partner at growth africa the executive partner at growth africa 
and Lorenzo. Um, I'm joined as usual by my co-host Esther Riches. The floor is now open for you know questions and follow up. Um, Damilolais, I can see that you are on here. Do you have a questions? Do you have something you want to say? Can you uh, do that in thirty seconds, um, Damilola? Um, currently, I I do not have a question at the moment. Uh, I I I be more attentive and you know uh, go ahead with the flow. And if I have anything to say afterwards, I would um, indicate. All right, thank you, thank you for being here, um, Demi. Um, Esther, Esther, this is my co-host. Are, are you still are you still here with us? By the way. Very much, CD. I'm listening keenly, taking notes, and warming up. All right, great. Um, so, Anne, Anne, you mentioned something that is, you know, very, very, um, it, it struck me a lot. And I think this is a conversation that we'll probably have, uh, we'll probably have this conversation before, the conversation around, you know, um, unicorn founders um, reinvesting or recreating as a as I would normally love to call them, recreating themselves into other startups founders in the ecosystem. What do you think is, is the fundamental blocker in that? Don't you think they they need some convincing to be to do that themselves? I truly don't hope it's convincing. I think they should be the the lighthouses of 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 that mission of trying to drive and support entrepreneurs. So I think that's that's really where I think they also really truly should become our superheroes in terms of championing the course of not looking at unicorns as being a driver just of profits and, and race and money, but as a vehicle, as a tool to try and catalytically try and bring our ecosystem forward and, and invest in that next tier of, of businesses. Um, whether whether then the deals and the opportunities always are transparently there, I think that's that could be raised as a question. But I'd love to see if there were, even if it's meant that there were collectives or even if there were ways to help um, these these unicorn uh, founders to reinvest. And I do also know that we we assume that they all have made good deals for themselves, making themselves uh, able to reinvest at, at at size. And I think that would be another interesting data point is, is an African unicorn founder equally well off compared to somebody from the US or, or Europe? Or is there even a discrepancy there because the way that investors are dealing with this is different? So is the ability to reinvest and bring back just very different? And then I think a little bit touching what we talked about before, I mentioned before, maybe a, a harsh question is also, are Many of those unicorn founders still living and, and working on the con living on the continent. So, are they in touch with the local ecosystems, or is it that a number of them have actually moved outside the the continent to to be in the location that the headquarters are at now? Which means they've just become further away from from the businesses. And ultimately, perhaps the question: Are they inclined to only invest in in the same line of work or in tech as they made their own money or are they willing and interested in opening up to a much broader portfolio um, which I think would be another question so so we, which is quite interesting so I'm going to bring Esther 
uh, Esther in here, especially from, from the investment side. Um, so one of the things that I think we've had this conversation before, um, Zach was was here, um, you know, sometime, I think, last year. And one of the conversations that we kept on having is where does the exit go? Because I know already about three African, three or four African unicorn founders who are based in the U.S., who has offices in the U.S., operate from the from the U.S., um, acquire property in the U.S. So yes, um, and they are probably losing context. They're probably not investing back in the ecosystem in Africa. Then how much definition or how much stress do we have to put into impact investing, Esther? What is really impactful about our, the, our investment thesis at the moment? So, <laughs> I like this question. Oh, uh, I think I think we. I, yeah. Well, losing our CD. Sorry. I think we're losing her. We're losing her. No, she's she's jumped. She's jumped off. And do you want to take that question? Um, while Esther tried to, to come back. Yeah, I, so I, th I think exactly what you what you rightfully raising is it, it brings back this good question. What what actually makes up uh, a unicorn or a business to be African? Is it the fact that the founder is originally from, from, from the continent is it the fact that the money is invested and in doing good here? Is it the fact that there's an impact here? Is it the fact that there's employment here, that there is tax money paid here as well? Or is it truly that we need to have a little bit of an honesty audit here where we're looking at if if the business no longer is is legally set up in Africa, if the investment largely is not coming from within Africa, if the tax money and whatever comes out of that is not any longer coming into Africa. If the jobs largely is not created in Africa, is this then truly any longer an African business? And I know this can be very controversial, but I think that's one thing where we need to have a little bit of a sense of what any longer constitutes. And maybe also accept that a business can be founded African and at some point simply no longer, maybe not fit uh, that criteria any longer. That's at least what I what I think. That I think that is some of the business that we praise because we need heroes that may no longer fit the bill. Um, so I think it also it also goes back to then, as you're saying, <clears throat> what what constitutes impact. And I think it it does. Uh, to me, it's definitely about the value we're creating in the continent for our people. It's about hey, the see, jobs that we're able me? to create. Yeah, and gone, and we can hear you. Go yeah, so, so yeah, to me, it's, it's definitely about the fact that we can create jobs, which I think for me is what the continent at this point needs the most. And if we have people with income making a living, they're able to buy services and products that then will spark a growth in other industries. So for me, that's definitely ultimately the the key driver around so they can have the pride in, in earning for the life. Uh, we know what it means to have a job and, and to have the 
control your life by by having um, an income. And I think that's definitely one of the key elements. So there's definitely also that we're able to create um, investment into a local business, which means that we, in in some ways, are substituting some of the imports that we are seeing. We're creating a lot more industries around products and services that we can deliver, that we are in a very, very good position to deliver on the continent from our amazing resources, that there's a lot of products and services that we're importing that we don't, we shouldn't really be importing. Or if we were to import them, then import them of our neighbors instead of from, from outside the continent. So there's a lot of that, I think, that these investments a lot more orchestrated could go into. Um, that also means that sometimes these sense of what is a fair return. <clears throat> if we started not looking at 10x, but started looking a little bit less, less on the x's, um, then I think we will we'll start opening our eyes to a different type of, of kind of investment that we could look at. And that does not mean they wouldn't be profitable. They're not going to be profitable at the same level. At the same time, we'd also probably have a higher success rate. So we have a a lower return, but but probably more of our portfolio that would be successful rather than we look at these unicorns that tend to be one out of 10 or one out of even less in, in terms of what we end up investing in. I mean, because the truth is, uh, another argument, uh, you know, we can definitely put forward is, is, is the fact that just because a company raised um, 300 million and then attain a unicorn status doesn't really guarantee them success, does it? No, and, and I think that's also perhaps why I was so obsessed with unicorns. I think it's, it's almost because it is this imaginary animal that we have never seen. Uh, and that also, I think, being, being the, the continent of, of these amazing animals that we have in our own savannah, why are we so obsessed with an imaginary animal that doesn't actually come from our continent? Instead of looking at what, what kind of characterizes the good business that we have here, that really can create value and, and, and create a return so, 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 uh, and, in different so, ways. So, and if you were to replace Unicorn, a billion-dollar company, Unicorn, for a typical African um, animal in the continent, what animal will you liken to Unicorn? What would, you, what would be your preferred animal? <laughs> yeah, so I, so I don't think necessarily it has to be a billion dollar business. But if if it was to be a billion dollar business, then I think I, I, I definitely choose the king of of our animals. So it probably would be the lion or the lioness. Uh, but I think at large, what we need is a lot more. Uh, I know that zebras is is a term that's being used for some of these more impactful local businesses that we need. Uh, one of my partners tend to say he he loves to talk about. Um, rhinos which for him is this solid animal big uh, it doesn't necessarily move fastest but when it starts putting itself in, in movement it, it does it does move with a speed that is bigger than its size um and it's solid it fits into our ecosystems it's part of what we have around us it's not something that we brought in from somewhere else that we've never seen really uh, but we've heard about <laughs> exists so i think there are I don't think actually we're short of animals that, that could be um, exemplifying the kind of business that we would like. I mean, so, so going, going forward, we're going to just base off the unicorn to the rhino, right? So it doesn't have to be a billion-dollar business either. Um, Esther, Esther, you are 
back, do you want to maybe backtrack to that question that I asked? Or should we move on? Oh, my goodness. Um, I think I've been lost track of what we were talking about at that point. Sorry. All right. Okay. No, don't, don't worry about it. So um, here's a question for you, right? Um, let's get a little bit into the conversation about the, the ecosystem. Are we building fast enough to compete globally, Esther? Sorry, the question is, are we big enough? Or what do you ask? Are we building? Are we building? Is our ecosystem building fast enough to compete globally? Um, so I think one of the things we need to recognize is that fundamentally we should be building first to solve the problems that we have um, as a continent, right? Um, and our issues and problems and challenges may differ from other parts of the world. So are we building to solve some of the critical, you know, issues that we have on the continent? Um, I think yes. Um, I think we have, um, especially in specific countries, um, you'll see that we have, um, we're building the, we're building the markets to be able to drive innovation and build startups that will eventually become globally competitive, you know, co competitive globally. You know, I think we have the talent um, on the continent. Um, I think we have um, existing and emerging innovation. I think we are definitely building the infrastructure that will disrupt the systems. Um, you know, I think we have the the political and the regulatory buy-in in most of the countries to be able to drive innovation and to sort of like get us to that global competitive market. Um, I think because we're building to solve big and you know important issues, um, what has happened is that now we are attracting capital that's looking to make um, a bigger impact um, to people's livelihoods and you know lives. Um, and so that is a really good thing to watch and see. Um, you know, we need to also realize, even as we see all this capital sort of like flowing to the continent, ultimately, um, only about 1% or less than 2% is of capital that's raised for startups globally is actually earmarked for Africa. So while there's been a steady increase, I know we had five point something billion as of 2022, I mean that's great. It's it's you know it's a significant growth. Um, you know, I think prior to that we were at four point something, and before that it was like two point something billion across the continent. I mean, but we need to look at the context, right? Like we're building really important businesses, but we're not attracting as much funding um, as other parts of the world. So to answer your question, you know, in short, I think eventually we would. Um, I don't think we should compare businesses. Um, in the same light, I think while we're also building the infrastructure and the ecosystems, that most markets have had a head start um, to this. But if you look at the pace that we're growing at, ultimately, uh, you know, it's quite impressive, and I think we'll be get, seeing some really good things um, in the near future. Yeah, but 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 is that is that not what this whole conversation about unicorn is in, in the first place? The ability to be able to build companies from the from the continent to compete globally, and also um, I know we're solving the fundamental issues in in the continent, and and this is this is one of the things that you've said. Um, 
majority of the, 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 the these fundamental issues that are being solved is just access to capital. It's just fintech, fintech. So fintech still dominates about 70% of the of the funding coming into 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 the continent because of our huge unbanked um, population, which makes some level of you know sense. But then, only certain countries, which you know, we even we even had a time for it, right? Which you know, for for the most part, was the big four: the Kenya, South Africa, Egypt, um, Nigeria, and now we're seeing other countries playing a role how much of a poli- uh, a political how much of our policies are just facade um does the policies being implemented across the ecosystem really intentionally enough to allow us to build a solid foundation as Esther wants us to do I mean, before Ian jumps in here, I think it's really important to also remember that Africa is not a country. <laughs> so when we say ecosystem, we're talking about 54 different ecosystems, not not just one yeah. big startup ecosystem, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, when you look at the big four or, you know, you know, just taking the words, you'll find that in those countries, yes, they're attracting the most funding, but at the same time, the big four account for about a third of the continent startups startup incubators and accelerators, number one. So they have the bulk of the accelerators and incubators in those countries. Uh, Ultimately, they also receive 80% of FDI that's coming into the continent. So I think they're just sort of like a step up in terms of, you know, on the race, they're a step ahead, basically. You look at sort of like the underlying things. Um, And then to go back to the point I made before around building the fundamentals is, let's take a business. Uh, So you correctly... Um, talks about, um, you know, sort of like the whole drive with fintech. We're trying to get, you know, um, Africans, um, you know, t- trying to drive the whole financial inclusion bit where you know the, the, the percentage of those who are unbanked and not included into the financial systems is quite high. And to unlock every other marketplace, all these other sectors, it's important for people to be able to be, you know, financially included. They need to be in the systems to be able to make payments and savings and all of that, right? Um, so that needs to be built first. So when, you know, when, you're, when you're talking about a fintech, right? Uh, sorry, when you're talking about a unicorn, you're, you're talking about a building a business in, uh, in, in an environment where majority of its um, you know, uh, potential customers um, still do not have access to, you know, to banks, access to information and all of this. So you're building a business, but at the same time, you have to also build the ecosystem, the environment around you. You're doing double the work. And this is not just you, but you and your investors, right? You're building the marketplace, you're building. So that's why it's, it's it, yes, you're competitive with other businesses in the world, but you're doing double the work because you're, you're trying to ensure that the, you know, that the building blocks of the operating environment you're in actually works. Um, so you can be able to take this business off. Look at uh, exits, right? In, in Africa, you either have secondaries or you have some um, other VC come and buy you out. But if you look at our stock exchanges, you know how many IPOs do you see happening on the continent? I'm not talking about taking them to NSC, for instance. Like there's way too much work to be done on in Africa 
Um, and I don't think that's um, that's a, a fault of the business owners, of the entrepreneurs, or the startups. It's just a it's a it's a market dynamic. We just need to build our markets and our ecosystems further to be able to really be more competitive out there. Brings me back to my, my brings me back to my original question: Are we building fast enough? Because here's the dynamics, and here's the scenario for you, um, Esther. So. The world is moving very, very quickly. Our ecosystem is developing. A lot of things is, um, a lot of things are currently happening. There's excitement about the players coming into the the, the, the ecosystem. International, global players are looking um, at the ecosystem. LPs, VCs are venturing into the ecosystem because there's a huge opportunity. But on the flip side of that conversation, the world is also accelerating in entering new margins, getting access to new places that we have not even started thinking about. Yes, we have to build the infrastructure. Yes, we have to build the foundation. But how quickly are we building on top of all of that? I want Anne to take this question now, Esther, if you don't mind. It, it will never be fast enough. And I mean, I think that's also the curse of the blessing of, of working with an accelerator is that it, it, the sense for me will be that it's never fast enough. So... I think there's almost a built need for being impatient um, to want to drive and make this faster, move it. Um, and in so many ways, I think we are, we are moving so much faster on, as a continent and, uh, than our Western peers. I think we sometimes forget that the journey we are on, we are able to do this at half or maybe sometimes a third or fourth of the same amount of time that it took them, just that we forgot that historically they have been on the same journey, just that it took them longer and it's a long time ago that they were on this journey. So, um, no, it's never fast enough. Um, but I think there's also a recognition that we need to have the pace that we have. There's a lot of the policy framework that you asked about that's not in place. It's being worked on in and across the continent in terms of getting the policy level in place. But I think we also have environments where entrepreneurs are not waiting for policies because we all know that uh, government and, and the frameworks that sits there is not what we should wait for. It, it's almost a part of our DNA, a very unique DNA that's different from peers in, in the US and Europe, is that the system itself will not necessarily be a supportive, defaultly supportive uh, piece. Um, whereas if you go to Europe and the US, an entrepreneur there will know that there's finances, sources of, of support available from the, the public. That's not what we're looking at here. So I think we also know we have some, some barriers that we need to overcome and we're willing to take that on. And so a entrepreneur in Africa definitely has a lot more hurdles, is, is much more willing, able, ready to fight um, some of the obstacles that we're seeing. Um, <clears throat> then... I think maybe also that we don't always look that we have to be globally competitive quite the way we're looking at it. I think traditionally we've looked at that if we could have, for certain business, if we could manage to export into Europe, our fortunes would have been made. I think there's a need and a recognition that we have a lot more market within Africa that if we could have just acquire that, we would have some quite unique opportunities. We have a food sector that an agribusiness that will, the future is, is, is for us in, in that sector. And there's so many products and services, things that we could do that would be 
ready for export if we are able to advance at the right level. There's so many opportunities in trying to replace imports with things that the continent could and should be producing. So we're not necessarily looking at that we necessarily have to export and we necessarily have to reach the West, but where we, if we change that mindset, look at ourselves and at the continent as the customers. And we start forging these networks of which we are our brother's keepers and we start helping each other in terms of what we can do with those products. And then it's true. Then we need to start leaping forward in terms of the innovation we can build on those products so that we don't have countries outside of Africa uh, taking on our coffee and then processing it. Why the hell is that still going on? And we still have a lot of produce like that. There's so much we can do on that side. Um, so I'm really excited about what we can do and how far we've gotten. That does not mean I'm not hungry for us to go a lot further. So, so here, here is something. So I, I just double into a bit of a controversy, and I'm just going. I'm going to draw that from Esther's conversation. So, Esther very correctly so stated when we talk about Africa, we often talk about Africa as one country. Well, most people talk about Africa seemingly so like it's it's one country, but it's 54 countries across the African ecosystem. But then here's the twist. The twist is as a continent for a very long time, development partners, especially people overseas, have perceived or have this perception of Africa as one country. Is it entirely bad for us within the continent, within the African entrepreneurship ecosystem to consider ourselves as one, to be able to harness that potential and actually unlock the, the ability to be able to export faster overseas? We signed the the entire continental free trade area agreement, but yet still, freedom of movement is still a challenge for a lot of other entrepreneurs within the continent. And now we're seeing countries like the UK, the US, putting visa structure that allows African entrepreneurs, the, the most brilliant ones, to easily move from the continent to the Western world in such a greener pasture, which you can't blame them, but moving within the continent it's a challenge. So is it really, really that bad to consider from, for the sake of development of the ecosystem, the oneness, or do we still need to divide ourselves into just where the one third of, one third of all the startups community are based and just focus on that and saturate that market and stuff? Is it really, really that bad of an idea? <laughs> I mean, Sidi, in an ideal world, I, I mean, that would be perfect. I mean, if we could find a way for the easy flow of capital and goods and people, you know, across and just build Africa as a continent, you know, that would be, you know, I think utopia. You know, we talk about unicorns. I think that would be the ultimate, ultimate unicorn. But I, I know the reality is, you know, African countries, 54 different markets, um, different currencies, different regulations, different government structures, different incentives within uh, and interventions within government to facilitate the growth of startups. And, and just because of those market dynamics, that's where the challenges lie. I, I don't think it's necessarily a matter of we do not want to work together to build a continent together. I think it's just a matter of how the market systems work 
uh, and how that divides sort of like the the, the various you know the various um, you know how operations of the businesses. Um, I mean, when you look at businesses that are launched in Kenya, for instance, Kenya is a great market. But I mean, to really scale and really grow, we, sh- we should be able to scale automatically into Tanzania and Uganda. But because of you know various government in- interventions and you know various different challenges on a macro level, you know, it's really hard. Now you start looking at other countries. In fact, what we're seeing is businesses scaling from Kenya to to West Africa first <laughs> before they start thinking about other markets that are closer to them, you know. And so you need to really find out where we need to unblock this um, bottlenecks. Um, and, and this is, I think, a function that's much bigger than just the private sector and the startup ecosystem world. This is more on a macro level. And But ideally, CD, I would love to live in an Africa where we could be able to do that. I mean, let's talk about the ideals then. And, and here's a question for you, Anne. At a macro level, how serious are governments across the African ecosystem? How serious are they taking entrepreneurship as a yardstick to bootstrap our people out of poverty? Yeah, that's uh, it's a golden question, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> um, no, I, I think it's easy to 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 downplay the role of of, of government. So th- they're probably at different levels. Uh, I think at the a lot of policies that will enable businesses to set up to operate that we that's that's struggling right now uh, and continue to struggle. Um, I think we have a lot of spaces, in, in especially in tech, that's not defined yet or do not define well enough for business to operate in a manner that is very effective. Um, we clearly have taxes and other things that, that struggles in many ways as well. And perhaps also government tends to be the one that we will turn to when we really want to find a blame. We also know that governments at large don't have the kind of pockets that our Western peers have. So I don't expect them to put money in. I do know that there are a lot of, or many countries, where donors are willing to put money in, uh, and then they tend to do it through government in some places, and that's probably where we would advise them not to do that. I think money going through government tends to be less when it comes out on the other side. So for that, I think it's better to, to work with the ecosystems to ensure that the funding gets um, to the entrepreneurs that, that needs the support. And it's probably also to figure out where's really the government need to play. I think there's policy frameworks that need to support business across different stages. In terms of a very uh, focused support to grow and support businesses, probably need to be at the very early stages. And then the assumption must be that there will be other players that kind of picks up these entrepreneurs along the way. Those are incubators, accelerators, and eventually then investors or financiers. So government, I don't think, um, in an African context, I think we need to be cognizant of what kind of resourcing structures they have. And then we could look at the West and say, this is really what we'd like to have. But we also just recognize that's not where we're at. One thing that I see across the countries that we as growth Africa operate in is that the funding of right support the right partners in support of from from 
foreign donors is significant, and we have not reached the top of that. So it is our own ability or inability to collaborate, to put things together, to deliver results. That is really what's going to unlock that money. Um, so I'd probably sometimes say I'd look at policy for government and setting the framework. I'm not going to look at the government for the funding. That can be sourced elsewhere. But we need to get a lot wiser. We don't trust each other. We don't collaborate. We don't come together to build these consortiums and collaborations that will unlock the true kind of larger amount of money. And then we can sit all of us and, and sit and cry and feel that we're not getting access to the financing. But it is because we ultimately need to understand that we are not operating on our own. Um, but yes, I'm not sure that this fully answers the question you wanted to, but yeah. no, government <laughs> is important. No, no, no. And I mean, another thing that you brought up that is, you know, quite interesting to me, I'm going to jump on even as we round up, ladies and gentlemen, um, thank you very much for joining us live at the Peach Room Africa. Tonight we've been having a, a very interesting conversation with Anne from Growth Africa and Esther from Uncap. We've just been ripping the bandage across the African ecosystem, discussing in depth some of the conversation that people have not been having, including the idea that the entire ecosystem is just built on the fundamentals of funding. As always, I'm your host, Sibi So wherever you're listening from, if you're catching up on the podcast, please meet us here every Friday as we tend to bring together some of Africa's biggest players to discuss issues arising within the ecosystem. Esther, I have, I have a question for you. How effective have pitch competition been in startup raising capital seed money across the, the, the African ecosystem? What's, what are your thoughts? I know it's generic, <laughs> but I just, want to, I just want to know because there's a lot of pitch competition happening. A lot of donor funding pitch competition that you know, are mostly redundant. But how effective, I just want to know the effectiveness of that in, 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 in the fundraising um, <laughs> Oh, my goodness. Sidney, you should ask this question to Ian because I know I read a LinkedIn post he wrote recently, really. Um, well, he has strong opinions about this one. But what I'll say is that at ANCAP, we do not necessarily believe in pitch competitions. Um, at Unconventional Capital, we essentially ask you to send in your, so send in your, you know, documents your financials everything and then we make an assessment from that um so uh, we, so ultimately i think that just speaks about what we think and what we believe in um effectiveness of pitch competitions i guess it depends on who is running these pitch competitions i think there was a time they served their purpose where they were able to give a platform to businesses um, on specific themes and be able to just showcase what is possible. Um, I think it got to a point where, um, you know, pitch competitions became a, a platform where we saw the same faces over and over again because they, you know, they knew, they, they, they you know, it's an information sort of like silo where which competitions are happening and, you know, you keep seeing the same entrepreneurs pitching and, I don't know. I think they serve a function. I think particularly businesses that have an R&D aspect to them or have a long 
period between uh, you know concept to product you know i think it it's probably a good way to unlock some initial risk free capital um but at Ankup, we do not uh, we do not um, source any of our deals from any pitch competitions, so that doesn't apply to us. Um, but I'm going to leave time for Ian to answer a bit of this question because he has very strong opinions about this. So Ian, over to you. I mean, I mean, and before 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 you jump on, right? Just at the back of the pitch competition, um, you, you you spoke about the lack of collaboration within the, the the ecosystem in itself, especially within the incubators and accelerators themselves isn't it true that the reason why there's a lack of collaboration within that ecosystem is because they are also operating as startups and they are also pitching for the same thing even the, the sex founders are pitching for the money um, no absolutely uh but I, let me just answer and i know that richard had a question so i think it's just let uh, richard have his question um yeah so super brief Oh, I can't make it super brief. Hi. <laughs> That's uh, sorry, uh, Richard. Richard, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let Anne come. Anne, Anne, yes, go on. Yeah, no. So I think you're absolutely spot on. Most of the or many accelerators and incubators are in their own right uh, young businesses, and there's a lot to learn for sure. We operate in in systems that lacks trust, which means that we tend to think of uh, competitions instead of collaboration. And I think that's also something we'll see that the older um, organizations have, have become in the ecosystem more likely they are to collaborate as opposed to very young organizations that tend to be more competitive. Um, and I think we also see that, or maybe just a little bit of a bridge, I think we see that uh, pitch competitions is another way of, of looking at a very competitive uh, non-collaborative mode instead of looking at things that perhaps is what is needed in terms of building the trust between entrepreneurs and investors and that's probably also where pitching in an African context we don't have the trust infrastructure that would make an investor invest immediately into an entrepreneur so we need to have a, a, a different play something that is contextually to how do we start building a relationship how do we start building the trust and then ultimately we can then start talking about the money. Similar thing in, in our ecosystems, we need to build the trust, we need to build the relations, and eventually we can start then having the conversation around how we how we address some of these things in, in a collaborative, coordinated manner. Without that, it, it, it's it's not evolving the way it should be, but it is evolving. Um, thanks, and, and sorry, Richard, for, for posting you that, but please, Richard, we'd love to hear your question. Yes, Richard, go for it. Um, Richard, do you have a question? Do you have um, something to add? Are you there? <laughs> I tried to get in. And I, I know I've oh, missed I a see. couple of... Yeah, I know I've missed a couple of the conversation already ongoing, but I penned down and then I couldn't log in anymore. So, but I still have, I still have a couple of questions to chime in. I don't know if it's still okay. So I go ahead. Yes. Yeah, yes, we can take a question, yes. Okay. Um, I, I, I don't know if this has been asked before. I actually had two questions, so I'll start with one. Are there requirements for the kinds of startups that you invest in? And this question is for you, Ian. Are there requirements for the kinds of startups that you invest in? That's the first question. 
Yeah, and we, we unfortunately don't invest at the moment. So we, we are, I think we are a good example of, of our ecosystem where we ideally should have, and we are working on it right now, should have our own investment fund to support the, the ventures that come into our programs. But what we're seeing across the continent, and, and please correct me, I think there's only three to five organizations, African and set up uh, accelerators, incubators that have their own investment fund, which means that we are not as competitive, perceived at least competitive, to a lot of the programs we're seeing from outside the continent where accelerators and incubators would have investment capital or other kind of capital. We, we simply don't have that at the moment. So unfortunately, we're not able to invest um, in the ventures, but it's something we're working on. Okay. Thank you very much, Ian. I think the second question would be, are there policies that have worked against the African startup ec ecosystem? Are there policies that you would say have worked against? And if there are, please, I'd like, to, I'd like for you to highlight some of them. Are there also policies that have favored the ecosystem, as in as to your knowledge? I'd also like to hear that too as well. And um, Esther, you can also chime in on this. Thank you very much. Hi, Ian, did you hear me? Yeah, I, I did. So I, I, I have a bit of a confession time. I'm, I'm not the biggest policy um, expert, to be honest. I think we've seen... Yeah, so let me maybe go backwards and say... So I think there are definitely countries where, especially the investment space, is one of the areas where uh, investment or where policies have worked, where... The ability to attract investors, not only local investors, but also definitely international investors, have worked and been very catalytic. I think there's a risk that we can highlight uh, Rwanda as an example, which clearly at the moment is on a almost out of space trajectory in terms of the ability generally to just attract international resources because of a policy framework that clearly is communicating to international organizations that they're very welcome. Uh, and that they're being hosted, they're being received at the very highest level, which is something we're not seeing in a lot of other countries. And then surely also you have a a framework and an uh, environment that seems to be very um, cultivating for entrepreneurship and support of entrepreneurship. Then I think from the outside or, or from within the ecosystem, we perhaps are questioning whether some of that speaks to an aspiration from a policy level and then the reality perhaps doesn't check in quite as, as promising as the aspiration from a policy level. Whereas other countries like Kenya, for example, we would wish that we could have the same and, and we just imagine what kind of rocket fare we would have if, if we could have that kind of, of support at the policy level. So, so sorry for not becoming more specific and I hope that, that Esther may have a I little understand. bit more specificity. <laughs> Thank you so very much. Um, over to you, Esther. I'd like you to chime in on this. Thank you so much, Ian. Esther? Hi, Esther. Uh, okay. maybe, maybe yeah, one thing. Sorry. I was just looking for the mic button. I had um, gone on to <laughs> okay. somewhere else. Uh, no, I mean, that this that that's such a wide question. I, I'll say that well, prior to my role at Ancap, I I was um, 
sort of head of the East Africa Venture Capital Association, and I think the work that we did there, um, we did a lot of policy work to ensure that we could unlock local capital uh, as, as well as mo- mobilize uh, capital from various markets. Um, and in that scenario, we, we did some significant work, um, you know, ensuring that um, that pension funds could allocate money to local venture capital and local PE firms. Um, and that was um, that, that was tabled and passed in, in about, about, I think it was about eight, nine years ago. Uh, so we saw an increase of local capital going towards, um, you know, um, uh, vehicle, capital vehicles that could be able to invest into businesses. I think that was something significant. Um, and then there have been various other policies along uh, alongside that, uh, just to be able to make the financing side of things uh, more robust um, and so that, you know, just ensure that there's more of a stability and sustainability, particularly on the capital side. So I'm able to speak on that side of things. But I think if you think about policies that have enabled sort of like, you know, internet penetration and um, education, um, literacy, increasing the literacy levels of, of you know, uh, the population and things like that. I think back to sort of like, if you look at the bigger picture, I think there have been some quite, there have been quite a number of um, enabling policies to really strengthen um, environments. But again, it needs to be very, you have to contextualize this and think about which specific countries are we seeing these interventions and this, um, you know, sort of like uh, policy enabling environment being created? Where I think it it varies across board. Um, some in some countries, some things are more important and have been driven to a point, um, but some in some places they're lagging behind. So you know, it's it's very context based. Yeah, maybe um, the one thing to add. Maybe one thing to add is. is if we look at this whole investment space, and large, it, it's all the large countries of Africa. And I think if we look at a global scale, uh, the countries that globally are some of the wealthiest countries are some of the smaller countries. And I think it's perhaps one of those things where smaller countries could have an opportunity to leave forward by kind of putting forward the political frameworks that are easier, relatively easier. To pass. Thank you so much. Yeah, um, ladies and gentlemen, tonight has been a very interesting conversation. We've tried to just unpack what the African ecosystem look up, look like at the moment. And we've actually tried to also answer some of the most controversial conversation being had across the ecosystem at the moment. But as usual, being your host who's, um, you know, a very troublesome guy, I'm going to shut down the space with two specifically drawn controversial questions, one for Anne and another for Esther. Ask the question for you. How effective has donor funding been in the African ecosystem? Esther? Sidney, <laughs> uh, I can see you're all for the controversy. <laughs> um, 
I think donor funding, um, maybe what you do is take a step back and see where it, where it came from and where it is now. Um, I think initially donor funding was a lot of sort of like aid, you know, trying to save Africa and whatever it is. And then what we've seen is that there's been an evolution of that, um, trying to figure out how to move from aid. There's a whole book around aid to trade, but more specifically looking at how, you know, how can we, how can donor funding be used to catalyze, catalyze ecosystems, catalyze more capital into businesses, um, catalyze specific sectors that are overlooked by commercial funding. Uh, and so I, I feel like donor funding has, has its role um, and has a lot of potential. Sometimes it takes a bit longer for them to figure out that, you know, I mean, we've seen sort of like donor funding go the more commercial route. So donor funding should be playing where, you know, where it's extremely risky, where commercial funding would not, you know, touch, um, you know, a sector or a type of business, the 10-foot pole. I think donor funding would be, you know, has done great work with being able to support um, gaps in funding. So where we're seeing, you know, women-led startups, um, and or you know um, underlooked sectors and youth and you know so where all these various gaps are at donor funding and um, you know and impact investing as well you know it sits really it's a really good square to sort of like fill that gap um, donor funding has been used to also drive conversations around regulations that are hampering the startup ecosystem. Um, so, you know, it has all this good things it has done, but I think also has missed the mark in specific other areas um, where it ends up being, compet- you know, competitive with, you know, c- commercial capital, which is where I would always push back and say, take a step back and remember what the role of donor capital or donor funding should be, which is essentially to fill the gaps, to, you know, develop the ecosystem, um, to catalyze, uh, ensure there's more growth of capital various markets. Thank you very much um, for that. Um, and so this is your question. What is the future of accelerators and incubators in Africa outside of donor funding? What is the sustainability plan? Yeah, I, I was kind of almost waiting for that to come. So let me let me try to give it. Um, I think we need to be very honest, candid, uh, and say that everywhere in the world, uh, funders uh, are supporting, uh, no, sorry, uh, accelerators and incubators are being supported by external sources. In the West, this is by the local government, it's by the central government, it's by other programs. Uh, I don't know whether it's entirely true, but I was told some years back that there only globally are five accelerators, or three accelerators actually, that are self-funding and all of them are self-funding because they have an investment vehicle that in very early days have been very successful and then you can start guessing which vehicles these are so it's just that in an african context we will not turn to our government or local government for that funding and that's literally where our funders or donors will come in and where they're playing the role so i don't think i have absolutely no doubt that we also for the immediate and and short 
medium term foreseeable future, we'll see that we need that kind of backing. That being said, I think we need to have a lot more effort on creatively finding ways in which entrepreneurs can pay or contribute a larger proportion of the cost of what we're doing. And I think this is the harder bit is that there's an upside, which is what most of us don't have right now, when we support an entrepreneur in a way that really, really enables them to grow significantly. So there is a clear correlation between the service and support that we provide and the success of the ventures that we work with. That really should ultimately be the way things are connected. But I think we need to understand, and I think that's the way that things are looked at in the West, is that supporting and helping entrepreneurs and, and young business grow is something that society is interested in because it creates jobs, it creates income. Hence, it is something that society is interested in contributing finances to. It's just that our systems are not in a position for various reasons, to do that right now. And that's where I see the donors and, and foundations are stepping in to play that role uh, for now. Great. Um, thank you very much. So, ladies and gentlemen, for those of you who have joined us live, it's been a pleasure having you here. I, I mean, our all I'm incredibly grateful to Anne and Nesta. They are both logging in from East Africa, and it's almost midnight where they're logging in from. This has been such an amazing conversation. So thank you, everyone. If you're just catching up on our conversation tonight through our podcasting platforms, um, thank you. We meet here every other every Friday, and we bring some of Africa's biggest players to just discuss and unravel what is happening in the ecosystem. Um, and I, I can see Blessing having joined us. So Blessing was one of, you know, our guests here. Um, I would just like to say congratulations, Blessings. Blessings was recently listed as 4.30 on the 30, so congratulations. And thank you for joining our conversation tonight. And Esther, it's been stellar pleasure. Um, we'll close the room after Demi Lola's question or statement. Dami, do you want to do us the, the honor of sending us back in tonight? Dami? Oh, all right. Uh, thank you, everyone. Uh, thank you for this uh, session. Uh, it has been highly informative so far from City uh, to Esther and everyone who has spoken. So I just want to know, hello, can you hear me? Yes, Dami, we can hear you. Okay, so I just want to know at at what stage is it uh, appropriate for a founder to start seeking funding? And um, uh, another question is, I've seen a lot of founders give up, like uh, as you guys, or for instance, a, a, a friend of mine recently, uh, you know, we are not very close, is an acquaintance, so he gave up recently on a startup because he could not raise funds. At what point should you you know close your startup because you can't raise funds and at what point uh, can you start uh, fundraising? Uh, the, the reason I asked the question about what point do you uh, start fundraising is because um, my team members with whom I'm working, uh, like the engineers, are, they are they are actually you know uh, uh, they are pulling me for some sort of compensation. And I'm like, okay, let's just try and, you know, launch the MVP, then 
we 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 can demo what we are working on and you know at least when we are pitching investors to be able to demo what we are working on uh, and convincingly they will be able to say okay uh, i'm investing in this uh uh project or not but my guys are actually saying uh start working on uh, fundraising start working on fundraising so i want to know at what point is it uh, really essential like appropriate to to kickstart to, to kickstart our fundraising Yeah, I'll, uh, so I can see Esther is struggling to get uh, back in. So let me just try and, and, and answer it a little bit on this. Um, I think to the extent where you can hold out for as relatively long as possible, it, it definitely, my advice would be to try and, and keep the fundraising till you have as much traction or proof of concept that you can. But also know that that's easier said than done. Uh, and also acknowledge that it typically takes about six to nine or 12 months um, to start the engagement and then get the funding. So I think that those two things kind of contradicted sort of a little bit that you kind of know from the onset that you need to start raising this money and prepare for the racing. That's probably the bit, there's a bit an in-between answer. I think prepare for the racing as soon as possible and almost knowing that I have a point at which I reach that at that point. I switch my fundraising, and I start going on my fundraising mode. And I think that means that you need to have a sense of a the idea having crystallized enough that people realize that this is a this is a product or service. And ideally, if you can hold on, that there is a certain validation, a certain the next level, certain kind of a. Um, attraction depending on whether you already have raised your very first money for developing the idea you're looking at something that's trying to to take the idea to the market um yeah let me try to hold there and otherwise please please ask again or ask it beyond that and then i hope that esther comes on so she can ask a little bit answer a little bit from from an uncapped point of view yeah um i think i think i think um I'm just, I'm just very, very um, concerned now about the time, especially in your end. Tonight has been such a wonderful conversation. And, you know, I'm incredibly grateful that you're here, you're still here. But I'm also very aware of how, you know, how hard and how long your days normally are. So we're going to come to a close, unfortunately. But if you do, if you're listening to us and then you want to ask a question, you want to do a follow-up, with Anne at Broke Africa or um, Esther at OnCap, please reach out to us. Send me a DM with your message. I will be happy to shoot them an email and see whether they will be interested to, you know, have a chat with you or even provide us with a response to the question that you may have. And I'm happy to, you know, just shoot that over to you. And I do wish you all the very best. Thank you for being here tonight. Until next time. Ladies and gentlemen, this is your host, Sidi Sako, saying good night. Thank you, Sidi.